Well, good morning, church. So good to have you join us this morning. And if you're a first-time guest, thank you for visiting and joining us this morning for worship. We are so glad that you have made time in your morning to worship with us. And we'd love to invite you to check out our church website, SalemHeightsChurch.org, for more information about us and what we have going on here at the church. Uh, it's the last weekend of September. The leaves are starting to change. And, and with that, we understand that our God never changes. And so we are going to worship him now together and hope you will join us. I count on one thing, the same God that never fails, but not fail me now. He won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late, Working all things out, you're working all things out, and yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Oh, yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy.
step down to earth innocent perfection gave your life for us we are amazed and we stand in awe for we have been changed by the power Your love. 
Father, you are good, you are great, you are mighty. Words cannot express, God, truly who you are. God, we thank you so much for your grace, for your kindness, for your goodness in these days, even still. God, we recognize that there are people in this world that are displaced, that are hurt, God, that are, are in pain. And we know, God, that you see that. We hold on to promises in your word that you hold all of our tears in a bottle. God, you take count of every single one of our wanderings. And apart from you, there is no good. And so we run to you, our God, our creator, the one who is great today. And we look forward to what you're going to say to us here in your word. God, I pray that we live in light of your return. And we live in light of your words today. We love you and pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning, Salem Heights Church. We're praying that uh, you're settled with your family, that uh, you're able to answer during the course of this season those questions. Are you connected and are you thriving? We're praying that right now you are connected and sitting down with a group of family uh, or friends or extended acquaintances that you are able to worship with, begin to investigate the word and enjoy fellowship, but also to take it deeper, to begin to apply the word of God to your life and to help each other apply that uh, in a way that will be productive. We're in a series called In the Desert But Not Deserted, and this week we're going to be considering, uh, we're under the topic, Watch Out for Falling Idols. We're going to be considering what happens when an idol is revealed in our life. Each week, we've been asking also, that we've had a rubric here, we've been underneath the question, how do we handle the heat of the desert? It seems like in this season that the desert heat has been turned up. Um, it also seems evident that when the heat gets turned up, some of the errors or the battles or the, the things in our life that will get in between our relationship with the living God uh, and us, they get highlighted. There's more intensity to it. It can become more overwhelming. So how do you handle the heat in the desert? Every single week, we're bringing ice, inspecting our own hearts, comforting others with the comfort that we receive from Scripture, 
and elevating our view, we're looking to Christ. This week, we're going to be looking at two passages, 1 Corinthians 10, verses 6 and 7, and Exodus 32, verses 1 through 6. We'll start in Exodus. It says this, When the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us who will go before us, because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Aaron replied to them, Take off the gold rings that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all of the people took off the gold rings that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he took the gold from them and fashioned with it and with an engraving tool and made it into an image of a calf. And they said, Israel, these are your gods who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of it and made an announcement. There will be a festival to the Lord tomorrow. Early the next morning, they arose, offered burnt offerings, and presented fellowship offerings. The people sat down to eat and drink, and they got up to party. 1 Corinthians 10 Verse 4, it says, Now these things took place as examples for us that we would not desire evil things as they did. Do not become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to party. It's an amazing passage that we're considering this morning. And it also uh, is, according to Scripture, a passage that we will struggle with. It may not seem like you're struggling with idolatry living in America in this day and age, but the scriptures indicate that the same thing that afflicted them afflicts us. We're going to look at uh, four observations out of this text, and I want us very quickly to consider our own lives and see how idolatry can find a home in us even now in 2020. I want you to see in this passage, first of all, in Exodus chapter 32, that idolatry, as defined in Scripture and seen here, idolatry is triggered by pressure. It says in verse 1, When the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. They said, Come make a God for us. And at the end, they said, We don't know what has happened to Moses. Where is Moses? They had a leader, and he's been up on the mountain. In fact, what has happened is he's been engaging with the living God. He is right now receiving the Ten Commandments. He has been getting instructions for a, a tabernacle that would follow them in the wilderness, a dwelling place so that God could actually live among them and have his glory be in the center of their midst. And while Moses is finding those things out, the people are saying, ah, where'd this Moses go? We want something to be about. We want to worship. This moment is triggered by pressure. I was listening to somebody during the course this last week, and they were highlighting what had happened in the life of Jonah. Here is Jonah, a man who was running from God, gets turned around by God, ends up in Nineveh, preaches the shortest sermon, the shortest evangelistic campaign in all of the Scripture. And everyone in that major city comes to Christ. 
This would be the evangelistic equivalent of winning the Super Bowl on your first try. Here he is, he has gone in and he has, with one message, seen the hearts of people melt, they get right with God. And the very end of the book has an interesting uh, observation. Jonah is up on this hill. God has caused a great plant to grow up next to him. The shade from that plant is shielding him from the sun. It's a hot day. Jonah's enjoying the shade. But the very next day, that plant wilts and the heat is the same. And in the heat of that desert sun, Jonah becomes angry. He's mad that the plant is gone, but also it becomes evident that he is mad that all of the people have repented. He says, I know that you're this kind of God. I know that you are quick to bring mercy. I knew that you would save them. And in the heat, in that moment, all of the pressure falls back on Jonah. And it's revealed that Jonah is not happy about serving God or having victory on behalf of God. He is angry because in his heart, he still doesn't love those people. They were his enemy. And still in his heart, he is filled with nationalism. He's actually saying, I wish that my people were superior. I wish only my people were loved. And he had his emphasis in the wrong place. When the heat got turned up, what he really looked to for happiness was revealed. This last week, I, uh, I had uh, some shrieks in my house as my wife discovered that uh, while she was up studying, um, and working on something on a computer in one of our rooms, uh, the cat had brought in a rat, brought it into our house, uh, and actually was wanting to put it on display for her. And so the cat is messing around. She was so focused, she hadn't noticed what it was doing when it came into the house and joined her. Uh, but in all of the uh, flopping around and the cat running around in the room, she finally looked at what it was chasing and discovered that the cat was chasing a rat that it had brought into the house. Now, shrieks at that place were appropriate. The question has been posed, how do you discover whether or not you got rats in the house? Well, one thing you can do is shriek when you have found them. But if you just go into the basement trying to search for rats and you stomp your way down the steps and you make a lot of noise, they're all gonna find a place to hide before you get there. How do you discover if you've got rats? You've gotta sneak in slowly, not making your presence aware. If you just show up and arrive, you'll see those tails heading into the corners. You'll be able to perceive that they are there. Idolatry is exposed in much the same way. It's not a bunch of loud religious noise that we make on the way. We can hide our idolatry in an average uh, season when everything is following the rhythm that it's supposed to. But when pressure suddenly arrives, when all of a sudden God makes his presence known and the things we're really hanging on to are still there in his presence, all of a sudden that idolatry gets exposed. Idolatry is triggered by pressure and it's also revealed in a moment as God exposes it very suddenly. First question I have for you this morning is what has a sudden season of pressure caused you to run to? Jonah ran to his nationalism and his bigotry and his irritation. When Moses was gone, the children of Israel ran back to their old idols. What is it that has been pulling at your heart? Second thing, though, I want you to see in this text is that idolatry seeks camouflage. 
verses uh, 4 and 5 here. It says, So all the people took off their gold earrings that were in their ears. They brought them to Aaron, and he took the gold from them and fashioned it with an engraving tool and made it into the image of a calf. Then they said, Israel, these are your gods who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of it and made an announcement, there will be a festival to the Lord. In your own Bibles, I'd love for you to see the word Lord there. Anytime you see it capitalized, that's because it's actually using the Hebrew name for God. L-O-R-D there is actually translating the word Yahweh. He takes that golden calf that all of them wanted to worship, and instead of saying, uh, giving it another name, he says, this is actually Yahweh. He takes a sinful picture and puts God's name on it. Why? Because idolatry seeks camouflage. It wants to be seen as righteous. They tried to legalize their cravings. If you uh, were to study carbon monoxide, it's actually um, built around a, a, a molecule. And, and that molecule is closely um, aligned with oxygen. In your body, there's a little tiny compartment, as it were, where oxygen is supposed to slide in, and oxygen is, is used to be able to bring vitality to the body. Carbon monoxide can slip in, and it almost looks like uh, it is the exact same molecule. It's so close, in fact, that your body will uh, drink that in. Uh, it will actually take it on as if it were oxygen. And though it feels like you are being satisfied, you are actually suffocating. Something that is so close is actually completely destructive. It will kill you as you take it in. This is a lot like idolatry in our life. There are cravings that we have and we begin to normalize those. We begin to say that there are ways that we can bring those cravings into our worship or bring those cravings into our daily experience. And we begin to own those, but what we don't realize is instead of satisfying us, they're actually suffocating us. The second question I'd have you ask yourself this morning is this, what area of conviction are you trying to reframe as approved by God? They took those old idols, they made an idol of their own desire, and they put God's name on it. So idolatry is triggered by pressure. Idolatry seeks camouflage, but also in this passage we see that idolatry values experience over purpose. In verses uh, 3 through 6 of actually chapter 19, Exodus 19, there is a, a statement that is made to Moses about uh, what the children of Israel were to be. It says that Moses went up to the mountain to God and the Lord called him to him from the mountain and said, this is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and I brought you to myself. Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my possession out of all of the peoples. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be to me a kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to Israel. So imagine in this moment, Moses is being told by God, I've actually chosen these people and they're going to be a kingdom of priests. What was a priest to do? 
A priest was to be so engaged with the living God and so wrapped up with him that they see only God and they begin to tell others, look, this is how you can get right with God. This is who he is. This is all of the beauties of who he is. And they begin to describe the beauty and the wonder of following the living God. A priest was supposed to put people in connection with somebody that was not them, uh, somebody that was not of earth. It was a holy other. A priest was to call them to a right relationship with God. But instead of being a kingdom of priests, instead of following that purpose that God had designed them for, they focused on their experience. They gave up their purpose in order to have an experience. We all want something that we can feel, something that we can see, something that we can take a stand for. We wanna have a personal experience and it challenges us sometimes. Uh, we want to put that in the place of God. David Paulison uh, says this in an article that he wrote. He says, the most basic question which God poses to each human heart is this. Has something or someone besides Jesus Christ taken the title to your heart's functional trust, preoccupation, loyalty, service, fear, and delight? Questions bring some of people's idol systems to the surface. To who or what do you look to for life-sustaining stability, security, and acceptance? What do you really want and expect out of life? What would really make you happy? What would make you an acceptable person? Where do you look for power and success? These questions or similar ones tease out whether or not we serve God or idols, whether we look for salvation from Christ or from false saviors. There are all kinds of ways for us to tease this out as, the, as Paulison says in our own life, but questions are a good way. What is it that you are actually running to? In this season, as the heat has been turned up, are there things cravings that you have returned to because the rhythm of your life has been disrupted? Are there things that have begun to captivate you once again that shouldn't? What must you have in order to be truly happy? The answer to that reveals whether or not you are chasing God or following idols. But there's a fourth and final thing that we see here, and it's this. Idolatry cannot be removed. It must be replaced. Now, what do I mean by that? I want you to notice in this story, it says that the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down the mountain. They gathered around and said, come make gods for us who will go before us. Now, remember when they were in Egypt, all of the gods of Egypt had been judged. And every single God that they knew at that time, that they had grown up under, had been proven to be weak in the eyes of the people. God had dethroned them and shown them to be without power. So those gods are removed. They are shown to be weak or have no power. And yet here they are in the desert. And instead of following God, even though they had some religion, instead of loving God, that old shape of the idol was still in their heart. There still was in them the craving for what the idol represented. 
those old cravings came calling. And because they had not moved on to actually adoring the living God, they were just religiously saying that they would follow him. Those old gods were not conquered. They'd been uprooted, but a new face was put on those cravings and they went right back to the same old system. There's actually a cult that I was made aware of here recently in Vanuatu. Uh, it used to be called uh, New Hebrides, uh, and it's actually a cult that is kind of shocking. It's a group of people that worship uh, the prince. They're worshiping Prince Philip. Two of the uh, worshipers, Albi and Nako, um, the leaders of the Prince Philip movement, actually were introduced to him a short while ago in a show called Meet the Natives. Here a group were brought before Prince Philip and they were told that uh, Prince Philip was told that he was actually being worshipped by these people and he was engaging with them, uh, interacting with them, no having knowledge that they, he was the object of their worship. And they asked these two, Albi and Nako, about their experience after meeting their savior. They said meeting him was just wonderful. One other uh, worshiper, Joseph, said it was just like being in the spiritual world. People have said, well, well, why in the world would a group of natives be worshiping in Vanuatu the prince of England, Prince Philip? Why would he fill up their desires? Some have speculated that when New Hebrides was being uh, populated by England, it was also... Um, filled with missionaries, and many missionaries had gone there and had revealed to the people that their idols, their false worship, had no power. But they had not moved the object of their affection to the living God, and they began to search for others to worship. They would believe anything and nothing at the same time. They put their faith in an individual who seems to fill the bill, who they have built up in their minds as an answer for their worship. They began to worship Prince Philip. What may seem ridiculous to us is actually a pattern in our own life. We may have removed some idols. We may have come from old patterns in our life that used to dominate us, but the shape of those things still fill our heart until we replace it with another. Just like if you have a child that is drawn towards something that is wrong, just taking that object away from the child does not change its affection. It will cry, it will weep, it will be overwhelmed that you've removed that object from its presence. What you have to do is replace that desire with something greater. And by putting something greater in their presence, they run to that and forget the old. God is far greater than anything else that we could worship or desire. His desire is to fill up our life and he is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our adoration. He is worthy of us looking to him alone to satisfy. But if we won't get our eyes on him, we will return to those same old patterns. They'll overwhelm us. Religion just removes the idols, but a relationship with the living God revives us. It fills us up. It replaces that old idolatry and the suffocation that comes with it with a relationship with the living God that magnifies, that builds up, that causes us to be truly satisfied. Question, final question in this morning is, what does your daily worship look like? In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 
Paul the Apostle is looking at these people and reminding him that we actually need an example. And those examples should call to us. He says, do not become idolaters as some of them were. And the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to party. Though that may not be our struggle, there still will be a call in our life from the old idols. And the question for today is, how will we face them? Will we glorify God or turn back to things that used to crush us? Let's pray. Father, we do come before you this morning and we ask that you would captivate us once again, that you would become so magnificent in our eyes, that our worship would be so full of praise, that our understanding of you, our vision of who you are would so overwhelm us that all of the lesser gods, those things that would captivate our heart, would just slowly disappear. As the song says that, that in the view of Jesus Christ, the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Everything else becomes lesser in the light of Christ. Father, help us to believe that, to live it. And I pray that in this season, while we are in the desert, that instead of feeling deserted, we would feel you calling us, meeting our actual needs and taking us to a place where we respond more deeply, more significantly to you than to the old life. Purify us and cause us to arrive at the other side of this season, settled and blessing you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.